0: the making of a marketer the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing one topic at a time hosted by digital marketing consultants jess nickerson and andy pondillo we welcome you to join the conversation stream us on spotify apple podcasts or google podcasts now here are your hosts jess and andy We are live once again on The Making of a Marketer, Andy Pondello, Jess Nickerson, and our second episode now of our C-Level series with Marcus Hollinger, CMO, um, as part of this series and really excited to be back. Jess, you've had some exciting times lately, so before we get into the meat and potatoes today, uh, we have to ask you, where were you last week? Because if you remember, we moved our, our schedule up a little early last week and then now we're back on a Thursday but she had a much more exciting week than the rest of us.
2: Yes, I survived a Disneyland trip during the spring break season, and I probably would not recommend going uh, during spring break. I w- we were with our two-year-old, and it was it was very chaotic, very busy. Probably as busy as christmas time season uh, but it was it was wild but luckily like I, I have tips and tricks we could do a whole show just talking about how to game the system so like we weren't really waiting in any lines and we we had a a, a much different disney experience where it was a lot of walking and visiting with the characters and going to the tiki room that's Love. really exciting a lot Yes. And I am wearing my pin. So, we, we, you know, we do, even though it was super chaotic, we, we did experience the magic. Yes. Come, you know, I, off. You know, it's funny um, bring
0: bring that up because one of the first things I did once, you know, I felt comfortable kind of going back out into the world again after the lockdowns is in 2021, we went to Cedar points so If people are familiar. It's a theme park up north, tons of roller coasters, super scary right up my alley. Right, let's return, but we weren't sure how many people were going to be there, what the process would be. We got there on opening day and we ended up looking up on Reddit because we're like, man, it's crowded. And someone on Reddit explained that they hit 95 plus percent capacity and they were almost at fire code that day. So it's like, when you go into a theme park, I know you have the same thing at Disney. You like enter like almost a different mode. You're like, so many people, Like, what do I do? Where do I start? Uh, But I'm glad it was an overall good time.
2: Yes, and it was it definitely took a while to get used to that as well, because I, I, you know, I have my anxieties from the pandemic I I've been living in my bubble for the last three and a half years, so I, I definitely went to the extreme by going to Disneyland during spring break and experiencing the crowds. But, you know, I got through it. It's good to get get out of our comfort zones and experience new things.
0: Well, speaking of getting out of comfort zones, that's been a theme of our show the last several weeks. And we've done a lot of learning on the, the making of a marketer. And, and one thing that I think that You and I talked about as we started to brainstorm, what does this show look like and who do our guests need to be? What topics do we need to hit? Something that I kept coming back to is the ability for marketing teams to understand what happens at maybe the VP the C-level, the business level, and how we can combine efforts, and that's really how we came up with the C-level series, and very excited now to welcome on Marcus Hollinger. He is the CMO of Reach Records, and what I would say, Marcus, in our first conversations here, just looking at your resume and the things you're doing right now, like he's been hustling and making plays right now, and I'm just so excited to hear about your journey, what you're doing as a CMO, and you know, really kick off a fantastic conversation today.
1: Yeah, awesome! Uh, thank you so much for for having me. I love the thought of the series, and I, I'm such a fan, and I'm just glad to be here to
0: share. Most definitely. So let's start off with this first question, and we've been asking this to all of our guests. Uh, so we know that everybody's trying to work through different times right now, whether you know it be recession, different staffing, changes in the industry. It can be tough sometimes to find your optimal creativity. So how do you get unstuck creatively? Do you have a go-to method that keeps you going?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do actually. And I have to give a shout out to a mutual friend of mine and Jesse's. His name is Jeremy Utley, and he is a faculty, adjunct faculty at Stanford D School. He's a creative coach. He's a, a collaborator. And there is this discipline that he preaches that I have been a disciple of, and it is to have a personal idea quota. And so regularly, as I wake up and go to sleep, you know, before I have coffee, I try to maintain an idea quota of 10 ideas. So on a mundane on a mundane day, I'm thinking, what are 10 ways I can help my son, you know, adjust to being in the room with his younger brother? Or I'm thinking, okay, if there's a, a marketing challenge, what are 10 ways we can do this? What are 10 ways we can approach a music video or a coffee release or what have you. And so I think having that idea quota of, all right, prompt, 10 ideas. Let's go. That that's been my my tried and true method of, of getting unstuck.
0: Oh, I love it. That's the the analytical mindset. It's interesting you bring that up. I just had this conversation. Uh, earlier with my fiance because we see things through different lenses but oftentimes because of our backgrounds and what we work in and me being the marketer I'm very much kind of like numbers like you know what's the analytics like even when making my bed I'm like what is the shortest route to completing making the bed? And then I did it like a different way. And I'm like, hey, the data has doesn't support that this was the best method because it, it was less efficient the last three times we did it. So it's interesting. I, I like that thought process. So that's a good career conversation to lead us into tell us about your career. You know, from- becoming the CMO now at Reach Records to co-founding Portrait Coffee. Kind of just tell us about the journey you've had to get where you're at. And, you know, obviously there's probably someone on this podcast right now listening that might have that, you know, on their horizon that they want to work up to that point. You know, what's been the secret sauce for you?
1: Yeah, if I had to break down the secret sauce, I'd probably say there's, there's, there's three ingredients I would say uh, belief, community and creativity. And when I say belief, I mean, I've always gotten into or the things that I just truly believed in. And so, you know, I started at Reach Records as an intern. I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm located in Atlanta right now. And I just saw a vision of what Reach Records was trying to do in music that I fully believed in. So I left everything I knew and I committed and I gave myself uh, fully to the process. I think community kicked in and that in this venture in the sense that I was also, you know, we lot, a lot of times we think about target audience and return on investment and things like that. But I think I've been able to be successful in this role because I am a member of the community that Reach Records is trying to reach. And what better, you know, what is marketing but developing community and serving, right? And so to be a member of the community and not just treated like a target audience has been a, it's it's been a hack, if you will, something I just kind of came into. And then I, I would I would lift up creativity because in serving, you know, it, it's an act of love, really, when we're when we're serving or when we wanna we wanna give to people and we wanna give them their best. I think it takes creativity to constantly be asking, well, how can I do this different? I mean, I've put out, I can't even tell you how many music videos or how many album releases I've been a part of. And after a while, it just it's just another thing, but to be able to truly serve, it's like, okay, well, what are people thinking, right? What are they wrestling with? How can we meet them there? And how can we sort of be an in-between for an artist Uh, I think you could take that same template belief community creativity and put it in coffee. I believed in my best friend who had a vision for reimagining the picture that comes to mind when people think of specialty coffee, serving a neighborhood that I am a community member of, and then using creativity to say, how can we take this bag of beans and bring it to people in a way that invites them into a conversation? And I think those ingredients have produced the results that I've seen in in both spheres.
0: I love the comparison to coffee, but I can't drink it after one or two PM. So um, <laughs> it, it just start, I just got started thinking about some whole beans right now, and I was like, I got to save that for a later time. But yeah. love it, love it, love it. That's a that's a great story and. You know, being a part of the brand that she served, that's something that's a new take, uh, Marcus, that we haven't heard on this show as much. And I love that that has been your path and you've been able to work yourself up through the company. You know, that's something that I felt like I didn't learn till later in my career. I actually, you know, worked in different jobs and tried different marketing industries and agencies and different roles within it. But once I got to where we're at right now with with LinkedIn and and happy to work alongside Jess, uh, it was actually a company that I had looked at years ago, thinking that my values and what I liked within a company would, you know, resonate with what I'm doing in my career. So I really, really like that because it's not something we hear a whole bunch. We hear a lot about, you know, just getting in there and, and, you know, hustle culture and things like that. So I, I, I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you talked about hacks. I mean, you know, how can we expedite that process? I think, you know, com- belief, community, and creativity, you know.
0: Definitely. So tell us about the music industry. So, a history of mine is I'm a former radio host, so I know at least a little bit about the world you're you're living in. I started in Top 40 Music and went over to sports, but I do know it is extremely competitive. We do know the Pandoras, the Spotifys, the you know, you name it new app that's coming around the corner has made it a different landscape. So, you know, on social media or digital marketing, as you, you know, you talked about putting music videos together, promoting different artists. What is it like working in that landscape right now?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's music is probably music the music industry requires, I think, some of the most innovative behaviors that I think you'll find across industries, maybe medical, because they're, they're trying to save people's lives and things like that. Uh, but it it's very, it, it just demands creativity. You either adapt or you die. Uh, however, I think what I love about what's happening in music and the democratization of music is something that Reach Records and the team here has, I think, had an early adopters mindset on is the power of community and I'm gonna I'm, I'm probably gonna say that word so many times because in a world where you can't rely so much on the traditional methods they're there but they're not moving ultimately you can find people when you're genuinely developing a sense of community and I think that's what's happening in music where there's you know tens of thousands of pieces of recorded music that are being uploaded every day, that can be a very, those numbers can be very discouraging. But if you can step back from that as a, for a second as an artist or a manager or someone who's trying to participate in the business of music and you can think, well, who is my community? All of a sudden the room starts to, uh, so to speak, or the seed starts to shrink. And like, not I don't have to reach the world with this, well, that would be nice, but if I can just find my community and create value for them, then I can I can probably find some success. So all I just say, um, that's a little bit of picture of, of what I'm seeing, what I've experienced and, and what I've been a part of. And uh, it's been a fun ride.
2: Yeah, and what I love about like what you're saying, Marcus, with this idea of community and creating value for the community, it, it's going back to this thought on like, w- what are the the beliefs, the values, the emotions of these people that make up the community? And if you can understand or develop a deeper understanding for that, then your your message, your your reach, every your engagement, everything you're trying to do is going to be that much more powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So Marcus, tell us about some of the artists you are working with right now on Reach Records. I, I took a quick listen on Spotify, so I, I enjoyed some of it. You know, I got it now on my playlist. So it's like, who should I be listening to to get me through the work? Oh,
1: by? yeah. Great. Well, i got, I mean, everyone, all of them, really, if you're tapping in with Reach Records, you're going to get something that you can't find uh, many other places. But right off the bat, there's a kid named Hovey, and he's going viral. He's got two records right now that are viral. Um, His storytelling is amazing. The, The sound that he's developed with one of my closest friends, a guy named Ace Harris, the ways that my friends, D. Diaz and Joe Malone and Shannon McNaughton are coming around to make sure that this music is his music and his marketing are explosive. It is it's 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 really a gem to watch right now. I'd also have to say Lecrae. You know, Lecrae is in a lot of ways a a an innovator in this space as a la- label owner, a president, the president of the label a culture curator, a thought leader. I mean, you name it. His music has ushered a generation of people with this same shared value, these same shared values that he upholds. He's been shepherding a generation for over 20 years now, and that's that's unheard of for a rapper, right? But he's been doing it for 20 years and he continues to get better. It's, it's insane. What Up RG? He's got a record, uh, New Hollywood. I mean, he's a Latin um, kid who's just able to create these cinematic universes and he's able to tap into human emotion and tell stories that I sit with members of my community outside of work and I use his music to relate to people and to find common ground and have these amazing conversations about life and purpose and self-worth. Uh, so, so those are some of the folks that, that come to mind right off the bat.
0: Oh, go ahead, Jess.
2: One thing I will say about Marcus is if you are looking for creative inspiration and you're trying to find some creative inspiration through music and uh, like stoking certain energy, Marcus is your man. Like he, uh-huh. he did that for our entire team last year. I loved it. Like we would have moments where we were setting up, up for our program and Marcus would be like, oh, here, you, you guys have to listen to this track. Like this is so fantastic. And so, yeah, just the exposure. He, he knows what he's talking about.
0: Now, now, here's the question though, Marcus. So do you have entrance music? Because that's, that's something I think about a lot. Like I try to envision myself like walking down the carpet and doing a Ted talk. And I, what would be my entrance song be? Because you only get one shot at this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right now, my entrance song would be free by what up RG and the drums. It's got this crazy drum intro. It's like, (laughs) ticket 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 to ticket to ticket to ticket And then it's just got this chant, like, I'm not afraid to be free. And it's just got this soundscape and what he's saying about self-identity and what he's saying about worth and faith. It's just like, I feel like that song just captures me and 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 it it says everything that I can say about myself, you know. Love so that it. that love would it. be my entrance song. That
0: that was not a rehearsed question, so I love it. <laughs>
1: <Right> <laughs> no, I call, he knew it, it right it. away,
0: Justin. you said that he's into music oh, yeah. in in terms of, of presenting. I was like, he he's got an entrance song. I know he has one.
1: Uh, <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs>
0: Looking at your career, markets. so you talked about the different titles you had before getting to CMO. So something that we intro before we start this conversation is that I found, you know, maturing now in the marketing industry, but I found when I was like, let's say marketing coordinator type role, I wanted to do certain things. I couldn't understand why certain things happened. And then I got to higher roles and then you start to understand it more, more of the business side and what, and what works around marketing. So, and vice versa. So you work up into this role now as CMO. Can you kind of explain how those different hats that you've worn through this journey help shape where you're at now? And maybe vice versa, the hat you have on now, what would you tell to yourself several years ago?
1: Yeah, so... I will share a paradigm that I got from Lecrae very early. And Lecrae, you know, two-time Grammy Award winning hip hop artist. He is president of the label, co-owner, co-founder of the label. And he found it fitting when I was an intern to share this paradigm with me and it stuck. And there is this mindset of an ambassador and then there's the mindset of an architect. And I think... At the early stages of your career, what you are to the community and maybe what you are before the, the target demographic, if you will, as a marketer is you are an ambassador. When you're young, your energy should be, yo, I know what's going on out there. They are me. I am them. And this is how we can cut through the noise and really speak to them. you know, let's strip down the corporate you know, target message, all that stuff. Yeah, we'll run it through those filters. But listen, I was out there at the show last night. And I know what the streets is saying. So we need to bring that in here. And we need to mirror that back, right? That's the role of an ambassador, youthful energy rep being the, the voice of the consumer being the enthusiastic consumer who has the honor of being in the room. And the thing as you start to Matured through the career, you become more of an architect, which is someone who is ultimately building the house for the ambassadors. You know, something that I said after a while to my team was, "Listen, the I I'm I'm building the house for y'all. Like the ideas are yours. I got two kids. I'm not at the shows. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on the sneakers app looking for the latest drop because I'm buying diapers and windows and." getting my floors remodeled. So, but I, I I'm not I'm not tapped in like you were. But I want to take my time as an ambassador to now kind of create rooms and windows that you can look out of and and be a better ambassador than I ever was. And and that takes, you know, when you're building, you got to measure twice before you cut. So when I see those young ambassadors saying, "Yo, this video, but there's price on my like, wait. How many times did you measure that? Is that really what you heard them say? Or is that something that you wanted? Is that, is that just you? You know, that piece of merchandise. I get that you're excited about that. But did you see any of our consumers wearing that? And if, they, if you did, great, run it. Let's do it. You pick the colors. You and, and so I think what I'm saying metaphorically is just the difference between having a hand on the P&L, <laughs> And sort of being just that young energy, that rookie that's coming in full of full of ideas and full of excitement.
0: Sometimes Jess, I um, have to remind myself of that. That's a great reminder, Marcus, because sometimes I like to get full of energy and like I, I sometimes will bounce back and forth, like between where I'm at. And then I'm like, OK, I didn't get enough done today because I'm bouncing back and forth too much. So I love the architecture framework. Uh, because that's a good just mental state and you talk about having your team and relying you know on your team for this information something that when i was early on social media that i wanted more than anything and i think it's gotten a lot better but early days of social media it was so net new i just wanted my opinion to be heard like you know hey this is what i'm seeing in social media and what i think could work And it took a long time, I felt, for the industry to get where social media managers were heard in a marketing room. So that is something I know that your team will definitely appreciate about you, that you want them to be the ambassadors so you can architect what they're doing uh, around the, the entire organization. So I love, love, love that.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got some great ambassadors.
0: So, looking at being a CMO, so you talked about it a little bit here. We'll just dive a little bit more into it. Uh, the the people management aspect is one side of it, but also the business side is another part of it. So, you know, I know you're probably you get in the room, you have the round table, we talk about you know marketing discussions and ROI and attribution and measurement and all these fun things that Justin and I consult on. Um, how do you manage both of those sides in your role and maybe just elaborate on some of the things that you do on a day-to-day?
1: Yeah, I think what has been counterintuitive along the way is how collaborative out that that lift is. So yes, I'm the CMO, but once a week, you know, I'm in conversation with the COO who years ago I actually interned under right? And so she and I have grown up together in this company. And so she and I both started out as ambassadors. And I think when it's that tight knit, and we all value the, the people we're serving in the same way, the silos break down. And now we can have conversations where she's showing up with sales data and our royalty payouts and where our staffing overhead is. And we're all just having conversations and discussions. So I think what I'm trying to say is relying on my team for information Mm -hmm. and also for input to be able to chiefly be great at what I'm great at, but then also constantly getting feedback from other departments. So case in point, I guess, to make it real specific, we noticed that our because making things beautiful is key to what we do. We noticed that the way that music videos were being monetized was was rapidly changing with the advent of social media. So, we had our distribution team constantly telling us about new payouts on platforms like TikTok, like Meta, and things like that. And so, the, the conception of a music video is being informed by which platforms are doing what and what they're prioritizing. And so, I'm coming out of executive meetings now with some parameters set to respond to creatively of, okay, if these are the financial constraints and if these are the distribution constraints that we're up against, how can we still make something beautiful that moves our consumer and even helps them migrate to platforms that they may not be natively responding to? Or how can we adapt what is financially viable to make it desirable for our our end users? So, so, So that's kind of some of the math That's going on in my head and some of the conversations that, that we've been having.
0: And with the digital platforms, is it still part of the philosophy with YouTube, for instance, where somebody gets in the the music video rabbit hole? Remember, you know, you would watch one, you'd watch two, you'd watch seventeen, and it'd be two a.m. before you know it. Is that still a key play, or has that changed at all in recent years?
1: I would. I mean, you know, I I I, I would love to pass my friend D's D I love I love to pass her con- her contact on to you because uh, I think she could take some amazing things about what the platforms are doing and things like that. Uh, but, but to respond to that right away, what I would say is yes. And, it, it, the, it, and the thing is, is with so many different platforms, people are now behaving in ways that feel native to them. And so you, that's where it becomes important to understand your audience and to understand your message and to understand your artists, Right. For instance, I have I have an account on every major streaming platform, right? But my beautiful wife, she doesn't even have the YouTube app on her phone. So if daddy's driving, like, you know, daddy, can you play music by Hovi? I just shout out to Siri. But if, if, if mommy's phone is plugged in, she's got to go to Safari and go to YouTube.com and then pull up the video and it's like, I mean, multiply that story by the billions of people who are using music in their day-to-day life and you got to get out, you know, so there's no like one interaction. It's all happening, you know, in the same car on the same day.
2: It What you're bringing up it is so true to this idea that you really need to focus on your community's journey because it it almost sounds like the way that we're consuming music and this content, like we we can create our own story. Yeah. Like, so I just, I think that is spot on what you're saying.
0: Yep, exactly. So I want to take this interview into a completely different direction, but I promise we'll bring it back together. So this, this might be the most important question you have today Marcus so Let's do uh, it. I'm originally from Houston you're originally from Kansas but now in Atlanta so Atlanta and Houston have one thing very much in common. And that's in the 2000s. They were considered the hip hop capitals of the South. So you know, I grew up in Houston. It was part of Houston culture. Everywhere you went, someone's bumping something different. So the question for you, now in Atlanta, and I I think I know how you'll have to answer this one to be politically correct. What what is the true hip hop capital of the South?
1: It's Atlanta. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's Atlanta, and I, I think that is true for a lot of reasons. I think Atlanta is a place where a lot of non-Atlanta producers and creators have sort of migrated to. I mean, Atlanta is becoming the film capital of the South. There, there's, there are uh, economic reasons why the, that is the case. I mean, there are cultural reasons that that is the case, uh, but if you if you pop on any hip hop or R and B track, for that matter, if you will, it's gonna be influenced by trap, and that is, I mean, that's that's Atlanta. So you know, you got it, you got to give it to Atlanta. But shout out to Houston for the for the role that they, and New York and L A for the yep. role that all these other places. But ever since uh, Andre Three Thousand got on stage at the Source Awards in 1997, everyone has had to deal with the fact that the South particularly Atlanta, got something to say.
0: Yeah, it's been a fun competition over the years. Even me in Houston, I have to say that it's not quite what it was like in 2005. Like back in that era, this is one after another after another. You know, one random fact a lot of people don't know, um, or actually two random facts. So the first one is, most people um talk about drake and you know obviously i believe it's toronto he's from but he actually got very popular playing in houston and there's a lot of people oh yeah. in houston that will almost claim him as a houston rapper because he was playing small venues long before he got popular the other fun fact about houston is mgk obviously you know he started as rapper now doing punk music he reps Cleveland all the time, but he was actually born in Houston and then later oh yeah Cleveland. oh yeah So a lot of people don't know that but there's some random ties that are almost like affiliated Houston rappers but aren't official ones.
1: Oh yeah, yeah I mean that's that's music, that's culture, that's collaboration. I mean those those stories are, are just so prevalent throughout throughout music, you know
0: it's definitely and I, and that's something we love about Houston is it's just so um ingrained in the culture you know that the just basically during that time the city was almost doubling and tripling itself in size like it went through a massive just you know change over the course of time and that resulted in new communities changed communities people coming down it was so much as ingrained in what we did so uh you know i see that now living in pittsburgh i see that up here now um, in different ways but i just think it's so cool you talked about it, just how music is so community based and they can really lean into that but bringing us back um, on topic again i want to talk about portrait coffee um, and what you're doing over there? He talked about it briefly. What prompted you to not only be in the music business but start up the coffee business? And you know, two part question at the end of this, I got to know like, what's your what's your favorite go to at the coffee shop? You know, what would you yeah um, be looking for in a morning to to get your day started?
1: Yeah, yeah. So what prompted me to get into coffee six years ago? A young man came up to me at church and said, "I like your shoes." And that set off a friendship that changed my life. And years we moved in together, and he started to tell me about this trip that he took to Uganda to see the coffee industry. We were living in a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, and he communicated this vision that showed the parallel between coffee and the city of Atlanta. You know, you start close to the equator, you're going to find uh, black and brown people. You know, you start to the south side of Atlanta, you're going to find black and brown people. But the more north you go, the demographics change. And so also do the economic flourishing of those people. Then he said, man, I want to do something about that. I want to put a coffee shop in our neighborhood. Will you help me? I said, you must. And I will. And three years later, we've been able to do something that I haven't seen in my life. And we've been able to tap into our community, and we've been able to create jobs, and we've been able to scale our organization to a place where I, I think I, I couldn't I couldn't have even imagined that that this would all happen. So that's how I got in, and my go to right now would be a Rwandan that has been happening down on the floor. I'm I'm loving the cocoa fruity notes. It was the Ethiopians, that strong blueberry that got me into specialty coffee. But as my palate is being refined, I feel like Rwanda has my heart right now.
0: I love it. That's just a, a wonderful story. You know, and we see a lot of these coffee shops pop up in different neighborhoods and, you know, I always feel like they have to have some sort of story because there's so much character you can put into them. And, and that's just awesome. So um, yeah you know, we talk about side hustles on here, you know every so often, too, but I think that this is even more than that. It just sounds something very personal to you, which we we love,
1: yeah, and I think too, when you talk about the marriage between the responsibilities of the c m o and sort of the the creative task, also being a business owner has helped me in that because my my business partner. Who manages our operations? We're constantly having conversations about. There, there was an inflection point in the company where our revenue really, really exploded, and we were talking. You know, we were having a lot of conversations, and the first thing I said to him was, "Hey, you need health insurance." And then two months later, his his wife. He found out he and his wife were getting ready to have his first child, and so that it's those types of decisions that being a business owner made me privy to. That also translated to my role as an executive in music to say, hey, it's not just it's not just creativity. Right. This this house that we're building, it's actually impacting people's lives. Right. A salary, you know, revenue turns into salaries, turns into health insurance, turns into people being able to actually put food in their children's mouths. Uh, So that's that's another thing um, that I'll say about that. So
0: final question I have for you in the world of being a CMO, you can't turn on LinkedIn without seeing about 75 different articles on chat, GPT, AI, changes in marketing, specifically music. You know, we're seeing that popping up a lot, um, especially in more of the production or electronic dance music side, where people are finding ways to use AI and actually make it into the songs. I've seen them create voices. Like I'm trying to learn it all on the fly. it's it's kind of like, mind-blowing to me right now. So I'm wrapping my head around it. But, you know, if you were to give advice to another CMO right now, and, or just maybe even yourself, you know, like what to do right now in this changing era? Does it change the way you operate at all?
1: Yeah, and I, I think what I would do is I'd pull some wisdom from my experience in coffee. So when we initially started Portrait Coffee, we wanted to open a cafe, right? But then the pandemic hit. And it's like, okay, what do we do? We read an article by one of my favorite thinkers, Andy Crouch, and he told us, prepare for the ice age, right? This is not a storm. This is not a season. This is the ice age. And we said, okay, if we're going to adapt what was supposed to be a physical hospitality experience for the ice age, what do we do? We pivoted and we went into e-commerce and we, be, and we primarily became a roaster and things took off. We were able to survive the pandemic and we were able to give people jobs. I think what I would tell another CMO as it pertains to what AI is doing in music is, I would say, prepare for the ice age. We saw it happen with social media. We saw it happen with TikTok we're gonna see it happen now with AI and chat GPT. And so how can we be more creative with our, the IP that we're stewarding, you know? Maybe as an artist, can you be the first mover to create the AI expression of your voice to now make it more efficient for you to create and now you own the rights to, now you can use the AI to your advantage, right? Those are some things that start to come to mind. But then I think the thing that I, would, that I would say as well, which is I saw it happen in coffee, I've seen it happen at Reach Records through the different iterations of music is community. Community, don't get so caught up in the latest technological advancement or the latest shift in the industry that you forget the people that you're serving. If you serve, listen, they're going to be going through it too. They're going to be there. They got to deal with the AI revolution. They got to deal with chat GPT too. But if you can continue to be a place that they can go to, to find warmth, to find value, to find guidance, to find leadership, they will see past that and come find you. And you guys can navigate that ice age together. So that would be my, you know, that be my my statement to that.
0: I love it. And thank you so much, uh, Marcus Hollinger, CMO of Reach Records. Jess, thank you so much for suggesting Marcus comes on here. Because This has been um, a very wonderful conversation. I'm going to be using your Ice Age example uh, for presentations I do. We do, Jess and I talk a little bit about when we consult about navigating recessions and things like that. I love that comparison. So there's a lot we can take away from this conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. It has been wonderful. All
1: right, talk to y'all later.
0: So, thank you again, Jess. That was awesome Uh, motivation right now. A lot of things I picked up on there, and I really thought I thought it was interesting about the parallels of portrait coffee because. You know, sometimes I see what people do on their day to day and then what they do, you know, as a a side hustle, business, hobby, whatever it may be. And we find more and more there's a direct connection to it, even when you don't, you you don't see it. So I I like asking those questions just to see where people's brains are at, how they connect everything. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely powerful words uh, from Marcus and what really resonated and he he said it multiple times but again this idea of community and thinking more about who is this community what what inspires them Uh, you know what motivates them again what are their values and it's it's like they're humans they're 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 people it's not it's not a target audience or it's, you know, it's not yeah. like robots that were, were trying to get into the sales cycle or the, the marketing yeah. funnel. And so I just, I, I love everything that he was saying around like this human connection and element.
0: I, th- I think it's something I will want to take back to some of the consulting I'm doing. So, my specialty is in EDU. So, when I consult different schools, online educators, whatever it may be, we do use the word target audience. Like, who is our target audience? I like community because if you think of community, no matter what business you're in, if you're trying to attract B2B or B2C, you're attracting a community of people that might be interested in what you have to offer. So I think of education and we're trying to offer MBAs, different masters, executive courses, whatever it may be. It's somebody that has a distinct personal reason why they want to engage in your brand and maybe take this course but you have to build a community with them to feel comfortable about maybe going into that because it's not something that a lot of people make rapid fire decisions on. So I love that terminology because I think in marketing, we could all use a rephrasing sometimes on the way we present things. And I really, really take that away from our conversation today. Definitely. And
2: it's, it, I've learned from Marcus that it. There are a lot of parallels between what we're doing in the B two B space and in the music space and in the coffee space. Like something that I, that is an unexpected surprise, but yes, if you if you anchor it around this idea around community, then there, there's a lot of synergy. And another thing that he was talking about too, which really resonated, is uh, this idea of collaborating with your other executive partners or your other teams. So he talked a lot about the the CMO and COO connection. And I thought that was really important. So in the B2B space, you know, thinking about like, how can I expand my, uh, you know, collaborative group so we can market better or, you know, produce something that is really going to engage the community.
0: And I, I feel like the advice that he could give to a fellow CMO, but it could also be a VP director of marketing. It could be, you know, some other role. Cause sometimes we see a social media role roll up into like a PR or something like that, but he's just, he's asking his team to be the ambassadors. He wants them to find the, the latest and greatest and newest things in, in music marketing and what's happening Um, In the field, and then leaning on them to build a full service strategy. I thought that was really insightful. That is something that our industry has fought so hard for so long, um, doing these types of roles, you know, I remember the day we I used to have this running joke. And I said, I was a social media manager that sat in the sat in the corner of the room and sometimes got invited to real marketing conversations. And there's a lot of social media people that still feel like this. It's getting better. But I think the more conversations that we can have about that, the more Marcus um, can can work with his team, making sure everybody has a voice. You know that that just helps, in my opinion, the growth of where, where we're seeing social media. and it, it helps us. In, in our efforts, as we consult different customers, making sure that the voice is heard all the way through the, the organization, because when we talk about B2B specifically, it's such a long and strategical community style building game that you're going to need all of your employees really focused on one goal.
2: Definitely. And the more voices and different perspectives you bring into the collaboration and into the conversation, the more ideas you're going to generate. And if you generate more ideas, the more creative they're going to be as
0: well. Yes. Most definitely. Well, I loved it. It was a a wonderful conversation. The one thing that he got me to thinking about a little bit too is if I were to open a side business, just in a a hypothetical world, I don't plan on doing that anytime soon, but... Noah, what would it be? Have you ever thought about that? If you just had a blank check and you could open up a business, what would you open?
2: Ooh, man, probably something involving food.
0: Any specific food? Or are you the chef that's making I, it happen?
2: I would say I'm an at-home chef for sure. I, I, I do love to cook. I'm one of those people that you know, give me, give me a pantry, give me food in a refrigerator and I can put anything together. I'm Uh, definitely not a baker. I I, I don't like to follow recipes, but I, I do find creative inspiration when you're mixing different ingredients. You're thinking about the balance between the the heat the the sweet the sour etc. Like there's so much you can do
0: to uh, make a good dish. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't have that skill set. My uh, fiance she's great at that. She can just look at anything and make food. And I'm like, how do you do that? I have to Google everything or follow the recipe to a T. So I, I like that. That's something that would be fun. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I really don't know. You know, like. I've had some projects, some creative projects in my head for a long time, but I haven't been brave enough to ever invest the dollars to get it done, but I would love to develop a kind of third-party B-rated reality show and stream it live, and my idea has always been, you take ghost hunters, for example, you know, they go ghost hunting, You believe it or not. You know A lot of people don't believe it. it. It does look like a lot of TV land. But what if we took the TV land aspect out of it and we live streamed the entire thing and there was like eight feeds and you could watch all the feeds on everybody's social media personal channels. And it was like this giant watch party and some social media, you know, companies decides that it gets a lot of viewers. We want to, you know, put it on our channel and make it one of our programs. Like There's been this like really like abstract idea, but just one of those things. It's, you know, anytime you start start talking about starting businesses or these hustles, there's a lot of money that becomes involved. And I was like, maybe I should just sell the idea to someone and let them run with it.
2: You're putting it out there. I love it. Wow. I, I was actually going to say reality TV for you.
0: Yes. Yes. One of these days. So, um, but no, great conversation. Once again, we'll have another episode um, coming next week. It's going to be our CRO perspective, which I want to find really interesting. This is one of my old clients. um, I worked with client contacts. I'm excited to see what he's up to now. And then also I think it's something that I want to hone in on this conversation is, the relationship and difference between a CRO and a CFO because they both handle money, they both make business decisions, they both make really important decisions. So it has a lot at stake for a lot of people. But I'd love to just hear the thought process of, of the differences and how they work together.
2: Yes. A- and how they work with marketing. You know, yes. is there is there a, a difference between uh, the, their relationship with the, the marketing team?
0: And that's something I ask, you know, when I consult or you know when I've been client side, I've asked, you know, hey, when does the bat signal need to go up that it's working or not? You know, I have X budget for X amount of time, but the the one thing I've seen marketing teams struggle with the most is they needed to execute this quick enough or Um, they executed against the wrong goal or, you know, there's a a number of things, but I'd be curious what that interaction is like and, you know, and and try to make it a a little bit more easily understood by marketers too, because I do, again, I think we're trying to bridge that gap between C-level and marketer. I can't wait. Well, we'll have that next week. I still am waiting for more updates on Tom. So Tom from MySpace, I have nothing new, but we're going to continue the newsletter that you have put out. Um, I am going to craft him a message. And then I think I'm going to craft some of his old executives a message asking where he's at. So we're going to like, kind of like, you know, get it across different, different places and see. Um, if he has a response, he did post an Instagram story a couple days ago while you were on vacation. Um, he was in a pool and he looked like he was having a good time. So, um, he's living the life exactly like we talked about, but we have a lot of questions still. I love it. So, so more to come in our newsletter this month. Yeah. From Tom from MySpace. This is his update. He's at a pool. Perfect. Well, till next time, Jess, it was fun once again, and we will be back next Thursday on our, is it? No, next Friday. I'm sorry. On our next episode of the making of a marketer until next time. Thank you everyone. Bye. This podcast is heard along the marketing podcast network for more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.